0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Gay Space Communism. I'm your host, Rachel. Today I am filling in for Paul Byron as the hype, uh, man, if you can call me that. Today we have an extremely special guest that we are so excited to have with us. Corey, this is your get. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited to have Mr. Benjamin Dixon joining us today, host of The Benjamin hey. Dixon Show and host of several shows, actually. you got a lot going on, Ben. Yeah. yeah, hometown hero, too. We're all Atlanta
0: people.
2: Oh, ATL, shouting! I didn't know I didn't know all of us were, were here. Um, good to be uh, well, here. Well,
0: Paul and I are, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. Almost all of us.
0: I called ATL
1: home for a long time, so I still consider it my, my home in the States.
2: There you go. There you go. I'm super excited to be here. I did not know this podcast existed, and now I'm going to be a regular listener because this is where it's at. This is the goal. The goal is gay space communism, right?
0: It's definitely what I want.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I was, uh, I was so excited, you know, to find out. Like, I'm a longtime fan of yours, Ben. Like, I, I Uh I think, you know, I'm a patron supporter of yours. But I started watching your show back in, like, I want to say 2015 when it was you're doing it in like your living room in your place in Boston. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Like early days
2: yeah like when i honestly had two viewers it's like five viewers and i didn't know you were one of the five like we we built this from absolutely nothing and and yeah i started off in in my bedroom actually with my orange background that that was about the same time um 2015.
0: wow this gives me hope because i am currently sitting on my bed so
2: there you go
1: No, no, absolutely. So we're we're so excited to have you on the show today. Um, We're going to get into um, about what prompted this invitation because it was actually a very amusing anecdote that you shared on Twitter that prompted me to reach out for this. But before we do that, usually we start off by kind of talking about what we're watching right now. And it doesn't have to be Star Trek or sci-fi related, but if you're currently watching anything in that vein, it's good to talk about that. But you want to share, Ben, like what you're yeah. uh, what you're talking about or what you're watching right now?
2: I would love to absolutely excited to share. So I just started the original series of Star Trek again from the beginning. And I am amazed. I'm wondering if they went back and remastered some of the Enterprise shots where they were flying around planets because the the graphics even back then were amazing. So I'm watching that again and I am really, really heavy into Handmaid's Tale. I, I am committed to of Joseph and trying to figure out how June Osborne, what kind of monster she's going to potentially turn into this season. So that's what I'm watching.
1: Oh man, I am I have not caught up on the latest season of Handmaid, Handmaid's Tale, but I'm trying to like carve time out for it. I definitely got some catching up to do. I, it's interesting that you say you just started the original series again. So um, as our listeners know, I've been working my way through a chronological viewing of all of the Trek content. Um, you know, I've watched pretty much everything. The only thing I haven't seen any of is lower decks yet, but I've watched all the rest of it. And I decided several months ago to start by watching everything in chronological order by the timeline and i'm currently at i just finished uh, next generation last week or so and i'm currently watching um there's an overlap of deep space nine and voyager and so i'm just kind of like bouncing back and forth between those two so it's it's interesting to be back in. it's probably like the seventh or eighth time that i've watched deep space nine all the way through it's my favorite track by a long shot nice amy what are you up to what are you watching
3: let's see i have been not watching anything and playing stardew valley a whole bunch <laughs> and also moving but uh yeah i've been kind of boring lately i could talk to you all about my favorite episode of winona Earth, but that's about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it is kind of hard to watch shows when you're driving across the country so i guess we'll let you off the hook
3: yeah well, i just don't have a good spot to chill yet you know i haven't set everything up for viewing
0: It is really important to have, like, the proper environment and headspace when you're watching Trek, you know? Like, it's not something you can watch, you know, while you're tailgating. You have to, like, actually have a quiet space in your head and your heart to let the wisdom flow into you. Uh, Which is why I've been watching it with my kid as, like, a bedtime thing. However, I think this will be a good transition to the sort of topic of today's episode. My child has been on a Trek strike. She's very over... It. She really, really loved the Darmok episode. And so she wanted to watch that like 15 times in a row. And then when I suggested we watch something else, she was like, no, I'm never watching Trek again because it's boring. Which, I mean, in her defense, yeah, kind of. Like, I get it. (laughs) I know in my house, Trek was like a borderline religious thing when I was growing up. We watched it like people go to church. You know what I mean? So I can definitely see how, you know, my six year old might respond to that the same way I responded to church as a child, which is to say, (laughs) (laughs) wow, this is really boring and I don't care about morals yet.
2: That's amazing. That is my experience with my child also. And my daughter, I guess how how I even got on this episode, I I shared a tweet. Uh, I was watching Star Trek and they've come in and sit down, you know, they sat down and they like to spend the time with me. And then my daughter was like, Star Trek is boring. And I was so offended, like not for real, for real, but still I was like, how Right. The kind of
0: parental indignance that comes from your child hating things that are obviously good. Uh, Yeah.
2: Like, yeah, it's objectively the greatest show in the history of shows, right? Objectively speaking, there's scientific data to prove that. And how dare she come in there? And it's almost like when my wife, oh shoot, my wife was watching it with me and she tried to skip the intro and I almost divorced her on the spot. Don't skip the <laughs> intro to the next generation. It's just like the only, actually, don't skip any of the intros except for Enterprise. You can always skip that.
3: Real fans skip the intro to Enterprise. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a moral requirement. But anyway, I'm sorry, I forgot I was telling the story about my daughter. She came in and said that it was, um, it was boring, and so I tweeted that my ex daughter called Star Trek: The Next Generation <laughs> boring. But then she says she liked the music, the opening music, and so I like, you know, we let her back in the house at that point. So here we are.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. Actually, and I gotta admit, I think you might just like rage quit the podcast if I say this out loud. So, you know, I apologize in advance, but I do skip the intro after a certain point. Not every time. Not every okay. time. But okay. like, you know, if I'm watching like my third episode, I might skip that intro. Uh, I skip the DS9 intro like every time. I think that shit's boring as <laughs> But the, <laughs> like, the original <laughs> intro I watch every time, especially once it gets to the singing part, the like...
2: wait a minute you can sing like you hit every note there wow that was awesome thank
0: you thank you i think it's ridiculous and i love that extra nonsense so like i'm here (laughs) for that part of it i watch that every time because it's like my kind of stupid but you know but like the third episode of the next generation i'm like space the final frontier frontier. click (laughs) but do you think you have to listen at least to the space the final frontier part
2: no, I'm quitting that. I, I appreciate you guys having me, and I'll catch you next time. No, um,
0: <laughs> <Not> it, <short laughs> <episode> ever, <laughs> but, you,
2: but you have to understand, like, um, Deep Space Nine. I think I was in, uh, somebody give me the year. What was the first year, uh, for Deep Space Nine? Like 91, um, 92. It, it escapes me for the first episode. Um, so I was, I was about 10 or 11 or 12 at the time, and I was in marching band or, or not marching band at the time, but just like concert band, and, and I played trumpet. And so the music is, I'm so into the music. I remember, learning how to play that by ear upstairs in my bedroom and just wailing through the house. Like that makes
0: a lot of sense though. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm deeply connected to the music, which is why I'm so highly offended by the music for the enterprise because it was a great series, (laughs) but the music made me want like not even watch it. I I, I never made it through the entire series of enterprise until I was in my thirties. So, (laughs) and that's because it's because of the music.
0: Yeah. It's so bad.
1: But to be fair, I mean, the music does kind of set the tone for how the, the, the I mean, like <laughs> I like the Enterprise. I like the show. I appreciate it for what it is, but it, it yeah. did telegraph pretty accurately the tone of the show <laughs> overall.
2: You might be right. I have to accept that one. I'll accept that one. <laughs> oh, man.
0: It's not even the melody for Enterprise that Gets Me. It's the lyrics. Like, (laughs) it's been a long time, but my time is finally near. That's like somebody wrote that on a bathroom stall when they were drunk (laughs) and feeling like philosophical. It's not it does not live up to the philosophical standards of Star Trek. I'll put it that way.
3: Are you saying it's like a white girl
2: wasted song? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh my god it is it's like a country western bar white girl wasted yeah.
2: song you're drunk at a bar these are these are like rejected air
1: supply lyrics
0: yeah <laughs> it's not good
1: by the way i think rachel still hasn't forgiven me for sneaking a clip of the enterprise theme song into episode zero of the podcast
2: oh wow yeah
0: we got divorced over that one we we held it together <laughs> for the child that is the show but we're no longer speaking behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs>
2: Playing the Enterprise theme song is irreconcilable differences, so I understand the divorce.
0: Yeah, it really is, right? Uh, but no, so I, I think Corey, forgive me if I'm stepping on your toes, but to sort of bring us back around to today's episode topic, that conversation sort of sparked a larger conversation about the relationship we have, you know, as children who watch Trek and parents who are now re-watching Trek with our children to Trek and also how parenting itself gets represented in Trek, you know, because there's like a very interesting sort of gam of parental and parent-esque relationships Uh, i'm thinking in particular of like picard hates children there's a lot of moms there's a couple of dads it does actually get represented on the show also there's just this whole weird thing that they have a daycare on a battleship that's weird that's a whole weird (laughs) thing but that's sort of you know where we're going to be taking it today we just want to talk about dad trek really and i'm using the gender neutral dad here of course
2: i love it i um yeah one of the first episodes in the entire series was the charlie x episode and that was really heavily about having a parental figure and in this case obviously then it was just like having a father figure they kept saying it over and over and over again so it's funny how uh gene Roddenberry kind of set that tone early on in the entirety of this of the franchise the, dif- the different franchises
1: I, uh, yes, I think you're referring to the episode about the young incel that we meet immediately. <laughs> yes,
2: definitely an incel. And uh, <sighs> oh my goodness. I mean, that was one of the most problematic young 17 year olds I've ever seen. I mean, it seemed like he had the powers of crossing the next generation, the survivor episode, survivors, where that guy had like godlike powers and he wiped out an entire species because that species came to his planet and oh, killed yeah. the people and his wife. So yeah. Charlie, imagine that power being in an incel. Like, that's what that mm-hmm. second or third episode was was uh was like so it was terrifying
0: thank god they're only you know confined to video games for now if we let them out (laughs) out of the video games world we'd be totally fucked well okay not fucked because they still wouldn't be able to have sex but you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly Royally unfucked for all of eternity, in fact. I mean, listen, and that's like really uh, high bar to clear. Even Odo managed to get laid in this show. Oh, like,
2: wow. That's amazing. You're right. Even David's having that on. like
0: real weird sludgy sex with the other founder. <laughs>
2: Can you imagine uh, having sex with Data, though? I mean, talk about a machine, like, nonstop.
0: Uh, hey. He's <laughs> fully
2: functional, so. Well, and you know? know,
0: Data's another one of the Star Trek dads, too. So yeah. we can actually talk about him as well.
1: We did, like, a discussion about fathers in in Trek a few episodes back, and I think we all concluded that Data's actually one of the best fathers on the show, <laughs> on the yes. whole
0: series. Yeah, really. yeah, he was really willing to go to bat for his kid.
2: Yeah, no, that was a beautiful. And then this is where I think Gene Roddenberry was so ahead of his time, like the gender uh, inclusiveness, like the autonomy, the freedom of a child to determine their identity. Like this was going on in Gene Roddenberry, like in the late 80s, early 90s, like and we're still struggling. We barely even broached that conversation in a very progressive way without all the pushback from the incels. Like we're in a war for that right now. But he had a vision for that years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think when we talk in this show, and this is a topic we come back to repeatedly and regularly, about sort of the relationship between media and culture, and specifically sci-fi and Mm. the sort of political horizons people can imagine, I think that's like a really excellent example of it, right? Like they were doing episodes that were about, like you said, like gender and identity and personhood and autonomy and all of these like really, really important ideological cornerstones that inform the modern progressive movement and the modern left That at the time were these sort of radical things, you know, like we know that Roddenberry was like probably literally a posadist, right? So like it was the most out there stuff you can imagine to really center like autonomy, agency and identity as the core of the human experience and not just sort of luxuries that you achieve through good behavior.
2: Yeah, I often try to think about what would be the current analog for how radical Star Trek, particularly the next generation was. I mean, don't get me wrong, the original series was radical for their time. You know, the first interracial kiss and and I guess some of the sexuality.
0: I mean, even having Uhura on the bridge was a huge deal. Yes.
2: Yes. So, you know, but thinking like what's the analog for shows today and the closest thing I could even come to. I don't know where anybody stands, but like since eight would be the closest thing I could think of. Yeah, that's a good
0: call. Yeah, because it really it centers all of those experiences in a very intentional way. Well, I mean, that's sort of what you would expect from the Wachowski sisters, right? Because they obviously have, you know, their perspective is deeply informed by marginalization, right?
3: Yeah. I'm a trans girl, so of course I'm a fangirl for them.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Well, and I mean, also, like, Sense 8 is just, like, a sincerely good show. Like, it's corny, it but, like, I love it.
2: Why is it every show that I like, someone calls corny? I'm so attacked right now. I, I love that.
0: You, <laughs> that. And I, listen, this is me speaking corny person to corny person here, but, Ben, you're a dad. You're in marching band. I think you might be corny. <laughs> Shots fired!
2: Holy shit!
0: Look, and I listen. I am a corny person. I I love corny people. I am corny people, but like I recognize my own Ben. Okay, listen.
2: <laughs> I do have a tendency to you know fight back tears on certain Disney movies. So yeah, I'll just accept it.
0: Oh, I cried like a baby at the end of Moana. Yeah. I get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man you guys have just put me on blast but i have to accept that i'm 41 i'm about to turn 41 in about a week and a half so i need to go ahead and accept the fact that i have been pretty corny my whole life so there you go i've accepted it on this podcast
0: look like we do corny <laughs> representation here it's fine
2: <laughs> love it
1: anyway amy you were talking about since so eight i actually haven't seen that show yet so I'm i'm interested in checking it out but please go ahead
3: It's fantastic. Nomi's father in that show, when you get there, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is a profoundly emotional moment that I will just watch sometimes for a pick-me-up between her and her father
0: that's kind of... I want to make two points sort of about, Ben, your question and also, like, about uh, the utility of sci-fi and that sort of specific kind of wish fulfillment is, like, when you use science fiction to project, like, a more utopian future, you create, you know, these really beautiful, comforting moments that people can look to and say, like, things can be better than this, and it creates a kind of hope in that visualization. Um, And also, I actually think, and I think this is a really good thing, the reason it's so difficult to, like, pinpoint the modern analog to Star Trek in terms of, you know, how much it pushes the boundaries is because there's, like, a lot more of them now. You know, that Mm. sort of type of thought experiment in media has been really expanded and popularized and normalized as sort of part of prestige TV, right? Like uh, Man in the High Castle is doing stuff with this. Westworld, especially the first season was doing stuff with this. You know, like you were saying Sense8 is doing stuff with this. And they've all sort of taken different slices of this really comprehensive vision of beingness and ipsity and like the sort of subject as such and expanded on those you know and I think that's a great thing I think that's like one of the coolest things about the Roddenberry legacy is that that kind of questioning is just normal now
2: yeah. You know, a lot of the, mo- the shows that you listen. I have not seen Westworld yet. I think maybe I'm behind the eight ball on that. Um,
0: that one, the first season is like one of the most amazing shows or amazing seasons of TV I've ever seen. It's about like emergence and consciousness and like, you know, agency as such, which is great. The second season's pretty good. Third season is trash. Don't
2: bother. You no, know, emergence and consciousness. They, I'm, I'm going to start it tonight. There we go. I'm good. I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's
0: really, really, really good. It's excellent in that way. Awesome. That's another
1: show I haven't gotten into yet. I just, man, I keep, I need to make time for some different shows. Rachel, I want to circle back on something that you were saying a few minutes ago, talking about how Roddenberry was ahead of his time in showing the need for kids to have space to, you know, kind of choose their own path. And I think that's actually a theme that is represented really well, even in series past. Roddenberry's passing. Um, So it's definitely part of his legacy, thinking about the way parents in Trek have kind of empowered their kids to choose their own path. Some of the best examples I can think of this, ironically, we give Worf a lot of crap for for being kind of a crap dad, but there is that really excellent episode in Next Generation where he's first trying to persuade Alexander to choose the path to become a warrior and then when his kid tells him he doesn't want to do that, he just accepts it. And even though it's something that's really important to him, he accepts it. He's got a different path and he chooses to empower him in that way. And I thought that was a really beautiful moment for war for, for somebody who we give a lot of trouble for his parenting skills, shall we say. And then uh, Cisco obviously you know, has to deal with the fact that Jake doesn't want to join Starfleet and wants to pursue a career as a writer, and he immediately embraces that. And I love the relationship between Cisco and, and his kid. I think that it's one of the strongest relationships shown on the, on the whole Trek universe. It's one of the reasons why I love Deep Space Nine so much because I just think that they have such great chemistry together and I really love their dynamic. I mean, Beverly does this too. You know, she empowers Wesley to go off and leave Starfleet behind and go become a being made of light or whatever he ends up being when he decides to depart to the other dimension. There's a few examples of this. I think it's a, it's a really good consistent theme in parenting and Trek.
0: I'm trying to think of like, what can I add to this? But honestly, I just agree, right? Like...
3: Let me change the topic a little bit um okay. so is is the fact that you guys' kids feel that Trek is boring? Is that evidence that Trek is West Wing for communists further evidence because
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no,
3: you know, like I don't know any kids that like West Wing. <laughs>
0: In one of our, like, first episodes, I noticed this, and unfortunately, it's like you can't unsee it once you see it, that, in fact, Star Trek is the West Wing for communists. And, I mean, I do think that there's something to be said there, but I also don't think my kid actually thinks Star Trek is boring, right? Because the episodes that she's sort of cognitively able to grok, she falls in love with, right? Like, the episode about Darmok, she is crazy for it because she really understands like at that moment when she was watching this show she was starting to really develop theory of mind and that's like a a developmental stage that we'd know of in human development where you sort of begin to understand in the abstract that the other person has a fundamentally different perspective from you and that the other person you know is a contained being uh, that is infinitely away from you and also you know the same as you fundamentally in so many ways so when she was confronted with this episode That was all about misunderstanding and Mm. communication and understanding the other. It spoke to her soul and she was excited about it. And so I don't think it's really that it's a boring show. I think it is a mentally, intellectually challenging show. And you have to, I think, have a certain understanding of things already for the episodes to resonate with you.
2: I think I'm going to give that the Darmok episode a try with all of my kids because much of this pandemic has really been about me learning their language, um, learning how they communicate, learning what best way to connect with them. And they were doing the same with me before the pandemic. Yeah. I, w- I was just so busy. I was going, going, going everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And like for the last year and a half, I've literally been at home with my kids every single day. And it has been that communication barrier. And they're at different levels of development. I have my three-year-old who is like, I I guess he's going through that phase where now he's understanding the communication barrier. Yeah, I think I'm going to start with them again, all over again, and start with the Darmaka episode, and I'll, I'll report back and let you know how it goes.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I definitely want to hear about it. I'm very curious to see what they'll think of it, especially because you have that sort of cross-sectional representation of ages.
1: Yeah. I was wondering, actually, if maybe the reason that she thought Next Generation specifically was boring, or, or was it, she was saying Star Trek in general was boring, or she was saying Next Generation in particular?
2: You know what? She probably will say the entire franchise, all of them. But she was speaking oh, okay. about the episode of The Next Generation that we were watching that day. I can't even remember.
1: So I was just curious, like, have you guys
0: watched any Discovery together?
2: No, we haven't. No hmm. wonder, you okay. know.
0: I bet. Especially because Discovery is so good about representing a bunch of different ages. You know, mm. like there are young people who are main characters in Discovery, which you know I yeah. love of course. And I think that's something that, you know, might actually make it more relevant to younger kids, you know, definitely I can think about when I was in the 90s watching Star Trek as it came out, having my kids watch that now would have been the equivalent of me in the 90s watching the original series, which (laughs) I know I'm fucking old and that breaks my heart every morning when I wake up and realize it all over again. But I do think, you know, in terms of empathizing with and understanding the experiences of these younger kids, you know, the one in the 90s resonated with me a lot more. so I I'm, I bet it would go over better, and I bet especially like lower decks would go over better with your older kids because it's yeah. it's a different like you were saying language, you know, it's a different yeah. sort of context
2: that's brilliant actually that actually is you know i my oldest my son who's 10 i'm sure he would love lower decks lizzie i i'll try i'm gonna try the dharmaka episode but definitely discovery because mm-hmm. she loves she loves representation and she would love the idea of seeing how strong the women are in in discovery in terms of leadership positions like
0: yeah, yeah. oh my god michael is an amazing character too oh my
2: god is she ever I love
0: her yeah she's amazing
2: And the, um, the empress, I can't, her name escapes me right now, but like, she's so kick ass in that movie, in that show. So yeah, no, you're right. I think I'll split them up and I'm going to start Jeremiah, my youngest. We're going to start him with Darmok and see what, see what happens.
0: I think it'll be a fun one to see. I bet that they will warm up substantially. Well, and I think one of the really nice things about the Trek franchise is they all have this core spirit of community and community building. And so like, you know, one of the reasons that it's important to me to get my kid into Star Trek, and I would guess it's something you might relate to, Ben, is because I know when I watched Star Trek like church as a child, that fundamentally shaped my moral and ethical philosophies, right? It taught mm. me how to, in this sort of very similar parable type way, how to really apply those ethics and ideas hmm. like, you know, the prime directive, right? Which is to allow agency in the other, right? How you can apply that and where it might be the right time to make an exception and where it might be the right time to end Intervene, but also to understand in the abstract that intervening in somebody else's path is a big deal. It is the kind yeah. of thing that you have to do mindfully, right? And to me, when I'm trying to share track with my child, part of it is that it is calm and I'm trying to get her ass to go to sleep because it's like 9.30 already and she's still like jumping off the walls and I'm tired. But the other part of it is because I think it has those really good values that I want to instill in her. And it's funny because like I'm, I come from a Jewish family, like secular Jewish. So we didn't really do like temple, but it was the the exact same kind of philosophy because Ron Berry himself was a Jew. And so I don't know, I think it's it's kind of, uh, for me, it is sort of a part of my culture and my heritage in a way that feels like home that I want to pass on.
2: Very similarly, I, I grew up in a um southern black Baptist kind of liberation theology church. Oh yeah, my, my father we love was a
0: liberation theology here.
2: Yeah, I didn't get the message of Jesus without the message of like liberating us from from oppression, and and so I grew up with that as well as Star Trek. And what's crazy is that Star Trek is as much a part of my moral center as anything I learned in religion. Right, it's just a a, a different way of communicating some. Uh, well, n- you know, obviously you know, get to take and pick in terms of what you're reading in the Bible, but in terms of like the core messages of humanity, some of the greater things in terms of like the value of humanity and the potential of humanity. Like I got that in my church, not every church, obviously, but I definitely had it enhanced when I started watching Star Trek and quiet as it's kept. I don't think I've ever admitted this on anywhere, not even on my own show.
0: It's an exclusive y'all.
2: This is an exclusive. The reason I am in politics right now is because I was watching an episode of Star Trek and I'm like, fuck this. How do we get there? How do we get from here to there? And I just dove into politics head first with everything that I had. And and, and here I am. And it's because like the future that Roddenberry, the vision he had for the future is one that I want. And I know the way we get there has to be through working through the political crap that we have now. And so. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I think psychologically, those are fulfilling the same roles, you know, like, I mean, yeah. Star Trek created convention culture, like it, it is in a lot of ways, very similar to <laughs> it a, is religion, a religion, right? It is a religion. Yeah. It kind of is, right? And I mean, it might lack the sort of supernatural components that a lot of religions have, right? But I think in terms of like the storytelling and the community building and like the, the sort of the Guiding liturgy principles. of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of common ground there. <laughs>
2: It's the best of religion. Like it's religion without the control of the other. It's religion yeah. with recognizing the autonomy of the other and the value of the other's differences and their freedom to determine the- themselves, right? Versus the religion that is dominating society right now. And in-, in every religion, there are the demagogues or uh, the fundamentalists is what I was looking for. They're the fundamentalists. And so obviously that's like completely antithetical to the religion that you would get from Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Although, I mean, I do think that if we were to have like the equivalent of our fundamentalists, it would be like the radical atheists who like, you know, everything is about sky daddy. And it's like, look, we get it. You recently discovered that religion was not for you, but you can still (laughs) let people live. But even then, I mean, like they still have sort of a core ethos of like, just get out of my business, which is
2: less worse
0: than like the crusades or whatever, right?
2: Oh, absolutely agree with you there, one hundred percent. But I, I was going to say, even with like in Star Trek, they always made room for people who held on to their faith, even through all of the transitions humanity went through in the in yeah. the in the world. Like they never yeah. mocked Worf or Uh B'Elanna for believing in Kova I, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Like they never yeah, mocked yeah. them. They they made room for it. And even the episode of Voyager where Ensign Kim got offended by the planet that believed in the afterlife, they had an acknowledgement of the end. Of Uh, at the end of that episode. I can't think of the name of it. uh, I'll get it. But
0: I know exactly the one you're talking about. Yeah. I actually just watched that episode.
1: It is
2: such a good episode where they made space for his rejection of the concept of an afterlife, but also they made space for, we have no clue, like the consciousness of someone could could, could merge with the rings around their planet. Like it it was just, it's a beautiful ethos of coexistence.
0: Yes. Well, and it comes from a fundamental space of humility, right? And I think that's the most important lesson that really any religion or philosophy can deliver is to really impart to every single person who's like participating in this conversation, the understanding that we are limited creatures. We are limited by our perspective and by our experiences and by our imaginations. And it is so important to engage the rest of the world with that space of self-knowledge of knowing that we don't know. I think that's, Mm. Very essentially important. And not just yeah. to, you know, religion or philosophy or ethics, but to science, you know, to regular ass conversations between people, you got to assume that other people are doing their best and that you are doing your best and that everybody's got limits. Here, here. We talked about this a little bit on a previous episode, but I think of
1: all the series, I definitely agree that Star Trek does a beautiful job of making space for people that have faith that goes beyond the realms of science without having it be contradictory to the science. But I think the series that does that the best by far is Deep Space Nine. It is the one that spends the most time exploring faith as a concept, not just with the Bajoran faith, which is obviously very central, but we get a lot more out of Worf and the Klingon faith and his beliefs and experiences in in Deep Space Nine as well. And I just think that they do a really, really beautiful job of exploring that space.
2: I think I'm going to have to commit more time to DS9 because I finished every series but DS9. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's waiting for, maybe I needed to wait to a certain level of, I don't know, my journey, my personal journey in terms of like my conceptions of the universe and faith. But it's been hard for me to get through it. I'm thinking I'm going to get a good bowl and smoke a whole lot of weed and sit there and just watch the entire series because everybody, my brother is telling me this. my my Both of my brothers are telling me this. Every friend I have, they say, said no Ben it is DS9 that's the one for you and I I think so I will yes. be able to watch it and maybe I'll live tweet it because I don't think I've gotten honestly past season three of DS9
3: dad named Ben watches DS9 this is a podcast like just oh my to god happen.
0: you know and this <laughs> is such a perfect transition to get back to the representation of parenthood because the commander and then later captain on DS9 is Benjamin Sisko hey Who, I mean, is a great character. He is a really compelling father. His relationship with his son is incredible. There's one episode in particular that, you know, speaking of like crying your eyes out at shows, there's an episode in particular where Ben Sisko gets trapped in a time loop and has to watch his son's entire life and doesn't get reunited with him, like, except occasionally throughout his life, moments where he's just sort of there Uh uh, with his son and he, like, has to watch his son grow old and, like, this whole thing. And, like, you know, he's like trapped outside of time. And it is like one of the most compelling episodes of TV I've oh, ever yeah. seen. Ben's relationship yeah. with his own father. His father uh, owns a Cajun restaurant in Louisiana and like they show their relationship of him like coming in he's in the kitchen cooking with his dad, you know, like really like just these very like distinctly Southern kind of parental relationships, which of course oh, means the world to me. Cause yes. parenting in the South <laughs> is like, it is different in some ways, I think
2: okay you guys have convinced me like so yeah. i have to start i'm gonna watch westworld starting tonight but i am going to crap a part of my life out because how many seasons is is ds9 let's nine seasons uh, or,
1: it's seven but the first one is short seasons. the first one's like mm-hmm. 16 episodes
2: i'm gonna yeah. start again at the beginning and i'm gonna go all the way through and i think i'm gonna podcast it and after i we would love to have you back yeah oh yeah, goodness ours. i would love to come back i ab- absolutely anytime
3: to be clear, it's okay that it has, you know, seven instead of nine inches. That's still well above
2: average. I mean, I mean, episodes.
0: <laughs>
2: I feel like I walked right into that one. That's, the, the, hey, duly noted, though. This, this is right. We can vouch No, there.
0: look, we're size positive here. <laughs> um.
3: <laughs> i'm sorry y'all it just we hadn't done one yet I yeah
0: you know what this is no we usually long rip moments it's fine oh. <laughs> yeah we do we
1: do usually count on paul for all of our dick jokes and we're we're sadly deficient this <laughs> i know week. we're
0: like we don't have the the paul ridiculousness we also don't have the paul structure which i'm sorry paul you're going to hear this episode. Yeah. You're going to be so mad at me. But, you know, I can use this. I'm going <laughs> to use a Paul-style segue so that we can talk again about parenting as represented in the show. Because we've talked a lot about, you know, our relationship to it as parents, what we want it to do for us as parents, what our parents used it for with us and sort of religion generally. But I think the the specific parental relationships on the show are so interesting and so worth exploring. Like, they have a big diversity of parenting styles, for one. Worf as a dad is a very distant and sort of crappy dad like he's not uh he's not a particularly you know touchy-feely father as you might expect but mm. at the end of the day you know he's still trying very hard to raise his son with the right values and raise a noble honorable Klingon even though he himself has no idea how to be a dad which you know relatable Ben Sisko like we were just talking about has such an incredible relationship with his dad and his son you know there is that incredible relationship between Data and his kid like it's just mm. I don't
1: think Miles and Keiko get enough credit as representation, both for a married couple, because yeah. I actually think that they're one of the best couples on Trek and a lot of people give crap. They they talk about how oh they fight all the time. That was just that was just shitty writing from the nineties where they right. didn't know how to write women in relationships.
0: Or relationships at all. Right. Right. I can't believe all of these like drunk anti social writers rooms couldn't come up with a healthy relationship to model.
1: Right. But as, as a married person, I do actually think that Miles and Keiko had one of the most realistic and healthiest relationships represented on the show. And I think they were fantastic parents as well. And I just appreciate all that they brought in that capacity.
0: Yeah, well, I think the the sort of cornerstone of their relationship as represented why it was so healthy is because they showed a lot of what it means to subsume yourself to the other in their relationships. Mm. And when I talk about subsuming the other, this is coming from a book called Totality and in Infinity by Levinas. And it is about sort of the nature of relating to the other and what it means to be a person in relation to another person. And a, a huge part of that is giving up of yourself to make room for somebody else, you know? Mm. And Miles and Keiko, they have conflicts about this they fight about this they are visibly negotiating this which is so Mm -hmm. important because usually in media what we see represented is either like perfect deference or irreconcilable difference but we don't see a lot of people fighting and making up or arguing and reaching a synthetic conclusion or sacrificing you know mutually for each other and i think that's actually very important to see and to have represented that's what I love about their relationship and i'm gonna be really interested in when you get a chance to walk
1: because I know you've seen some of deep Space 9 but like the real mm. heart of their relationship kind of comes in the the later seasons so i'll be really interested oh, wow. to okay. see your perspective on it as a as a married person and as a parent you know how you kind of reflect on their relationship when you get there
2: I feel like, and again, I think it's all, everything happens at the the appropriate time because the more I'm listening to you all, I'm like, holy shit, DS9 probably was the one for me all of this time. And I just had to wait till I got to a level uh, because again, like this pandemic has been transformative for me because it has shown me the many different ways. While I thought I was a good father, I thought I was a good husband, but being as busy as I was and allowed myself to be on behalf of my family, right? I'm out there working my ass off for my family, but sometimes that's still, is not sometimes most of the time that still leaves so many open holes that you're not really being the father or the husband that you really need to be. And so the the pandemic has kind of just obliterated that because even like yesterday, I, I got into one of my zones where I'm like, how do we change the world? How do we do this? Like we have enemies on every side. All of my heroes are dead and my enemies are in power. And I'm like, I'm looking into all the divisions on the left, and I'm like getting so consumed by it where I found myself just locked in my room being angry and furious over the lack of progress. And then I reminded myself, I said, No, go outside and play with your kids. Right. And so I'm excited about exploring Deep Space Nine for all the reasons you all have outlined. But Rachel, what was the name of the book that you were just talking about in terms of uh, defining yourself in context of another person? What was that book? Because that that sounds like something I need to read. (laughs)
0: It is Totality and Infinity by, I think it's Emmanuel Levinas. I will tell you, he's a French philosopher. It's super obtuse and like kind of annoying to understand, but it definitely fundamentally informed my understanding of like being as a social creature, right? Uh, It's Mm -hmm. sort of why I say there's no such thing as an individual human and talk about like the myth of the individual human, because we do not exist without each other. If you put a baby alone in a field, the baby's going to die. Like we have to have each other to exist at all. We come to understand ourselves as people by comparing ourselves to other people. You know, everything that we are, everything that we do is in relation to the other. And one of the sort of deep, toxic and destructive things we have going on in our culture right now is this, you know, cult of the individual, which has never actually existed
2: oh yeah no it's it's it goes against nature as much as they try to say the individualism of our system and therefore by extension the greed that we built this system on is a result of nature the state of nature human nature but in reality it's the exact opposite is nature has told us that we must be communal guys this is like uh, uh, everyone this is i love you guys i, I love this space <laughs> because, like, this is the space that we have to create in society, like, just if just for one second, like, a space where people can simply be themselves and we don't have to apologize for, like, me being this traditional Southern heteronormative, all those things that, like, you know, sis and, and then raising my kids, you know, we go to church and whenever church was open, like, all those things. But, like, that's who I am and you all are who you are and we all are connected on a level that is deeper than I have even with my church members, like, even with some family members members, you know, like it's it's so refreshing to be in a space where people can just be themselves. And because we all are seeking a greater humanity, we have that common bond. That is our community. It's like our greater humanity. And so this is a beautiful space you all have created.
1: Well thank you. We're so just blessed to have you in. That
0: really means the world to me to hear. Because that's I mean that's exactly what we're trying to do with this. You know, we're trying to foster these conversations and really talk about the way that this kind of media like we're producing right now or like star trek does or like your show does ben can really change the conversation and change people's horizons and change the world you know i love it yeah, something that you said a second ago really, really stuck out to me, Ben. A couple of things
1: actually. You know, you're know, you talking about how you just kind of got caught up in yourself the other day. That's that's another thing that Trek does really beautifully is that there's this constant kind of points of intervention when people are getting overstressed, when people are getting wound up in a thing. There's someone is there, whether it's Counselor Troy or their commanding officer oh. or just their friend, says, "Hey, take a breath, take a minute. You need to go take some time to go chill out because." you're overworked you know like instilling that as a value is so important and something that means so much to me because it's so antithetical to our capitalist culture and like good lord if we could even just get to that point like we would be miles ahead of where where we are right now but like thinking about like how we get to this future that trek has promised us is i actually think your point about you know the individualism i think that's one of the the biggest challenges that we have in american culture specifically because we have this false narrative that you know, America was forged by you know people who struck out on their own to go do some great thing. Huh. I mean, it's it's complete bullshit. Obviously, it was it was colonialism from the beginning, and it was built on genocide and slavery. But you know, there's that that is so baked into the American ethos that it's just really hard to get people to stop framing their perspective in that way. So I don't know if you have any thoughts, your musings, either you or Rachel or Amy want to share about how we overcome that barrier
2: yes i do i think about this all the time oh my goodness i want to come back and be on any anytime you guys want me back you all want me back please let me know because i love this
0: listen season two ben dixon co-host we're in (laughs)
2: Honestly, like my ideas on that is that we have to align because we're so trained from birth to be consumers and laborers, and we are so trained to be individual. There's an entire generation where we're not going to be able to appeal to them simply on the greater humanity of each other. But if we can align their self interest with the greater humanity of each other, we can align their self interest and show them how community is actually in your best interest. Like you can become, you know, appeal to their, their vanity or appeal to their, you know, they're trying to get their bag and all, you know, they're trying to get their Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Well, honestly, like the greatest way forward is through community period. If you don't treat your followers like shit, you can get even further, but this uh, influencer industry and the, you know, capitalism as, as a driver in everything that we do, it tells us to be greedy above all else. Step on somebody's head to get ahead. When the exact opposite is true is that if you treat someone like a human being, they will be as loyal to you as you would be loyal to them. And that's how you can grow with a positive sum relationship instead of a negative sum relationship. So those are my thoughts on that.
0: Mm, mm, I love it. Yeah, well, and I this is a thing I talk about a lot—not just on this show, but also on Not Safer Walks, which is sort of our network's flagship show—and really anytime I'm on anybody else's podcast, when I'm at the dinner table ruining, you know, Thanksgiving, like I talk about this constantly. <laughs> we cannot behave in ways we cannot imagine. You know, we are not able to do this. We have to be able to envision ourselves doing something to actually do it, to embody that action with our participation in the world around us, whether that's physical whether that's monetary, whether that's, you know, even just offering words of support to somebody, we are always repeating scripts that we have been given and recombining mm. those scripts into sort of new arrangements. So this is the perfect vehicle for that, right? Like, it's it narrative is the best possible way to give people a model that they can put themselves into where, you know, they are a better person and where they can envision themselves being the hero in this meaningful way. So like, hell yeah, use it that way. That's the best way to possibly do it, I think.
2: I love it. It's just all stemming from Star Trek, ladies and gentlemen, non conforming individuals. Like, like we get this hope for humanity from Star Trek. And I guess that does make us corny at the end of the day, but <laughs> I'll take uh, you know, it. I'm
0: not mad about it, though, because somebody's yeah. got to be coming up with the vision, right? I also want to talk about, since you're talking about non-conformity, I want to talk about the weird parent that is my favorite parent on the show. And this is probably because, you know, I'm Jewish, but Loxana Troy is so funny. To me, she yeah. is intensely overbearing. She's inappropriate. She's got a heart of gold, you know. She's candid to a fault, but <laughs> I, I think she also fiercely loves her daughter. Uh, and she, in spite of actually having what I would characterize as a kind of toxic relationship with her daughter, nonetheless is like so clearly devoted to her. And I think that's you know, I think that's an interesting and worthwhile relationship, right? Because so often mothers are portrayed in Media as like either these sort of deeply wicked, unforgiving, punishing, withholding, violent type, you know, harpies, or these like Brady Bunch, perfectly mm. supportive, flawless, you know, emotionless, universally calm and supportive and ideal sort of Madonnas. And then there's, you know, really no room for moms to be like, okay, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think, it, I think it's actually, A very fun and cool thing that they brought Luoxana in the way she was, you know, which is overbearing and has kind of shitty boundaries because, you know, her Mm. cultural upbringing is literally telepathic and boundaries like that don't exist. You know, and she thinks they're exhausting and ridiculous, which honestly, like within Jewish culture, that's basically how we react to wasps because they make you do all this weird mind reading shit when we're just telling each other stuff.
1: I wonder how much influence Majel Barrett actually had on creating the character in that context because, I mean, obviously Mm. she had a lot of influence on the show. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised fast, if she maybe. had a big say in that kind of development art because I, I I'll definitely mm-hmm. join you I, I think Luxana Troy is one of my favorite characters on the show and to me she has life goals like I aspire to be as <laughs> I <love it. laughs> like I, I aspire to be as like free from care of what anybody else thinks <laughs> as Luxana Troy is.
0: yes yeah God. well and I mean you know part of this is that she's like rich as shit I'm sure that makes a big difference
1: <laughs> daughter of the fifth house. <laughs>
0: Yeah, let us not, you know, <laughs> ignore the influences that being literal royalty might have on her ability to shirk off other people's expectations. But no, but I think that there is something empowering to it, right? There's something empowering to a mother being like kind of a horn dog, mm. you know, because God knows that's me. That's who I am as a person. <laughs> like, I post pictures of my butt with communist propaganda on Twitter because it gets attention and it works. And <laughs> I ain't got time to do like the long, forever taking stuff just because it's more appropriate. appropriate. Appropriate or whatever like we have a climate crisis
1: Right. Remember that episode of Next Generation when uh, Alexander and, and Worf are fighting about, you know, responsibilities and Luxana steps in and she kind of becomes his grandmother, sort of, in that moment. And yeah. Such, they have such a beautiful relationship. I just love their interaction. Yes. She takes them to that holiday. Well, program. she does for
0: a yeah. lot of kids. Yeah, she does. On the ship. Like, you see these moments of her mothering small children that is, I mean, they're intensely beautiful. They are the kind of, like, advocating for a child that so rarely happens in you know our culture that thinks of children as kind of property. Yeah, you know mm. as sort objects mm. and i think that aspect of her parenting it certainly informed some of my parenting right like i felt like i have room to be extra as shit which is good because my mom's extra as shit and my daughter is <laughs> extra as shit which is proof to me that extra as shit is a hereditary trait and i can't <laughs> it. I love it. but it gave me room to do that without feeling like i'm a terrible mother you know and it it gave me room to really sit there and hear my child as a person uh, and then mm. advocate for that
3: Yeah, and reversing it, too. Um, I feel like Loxana taught me a little bit about how my parents were people, Uh. you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point.
2: That's such an important point because what I've noticed, again, in this pandemic, my children in their own way had to come to terms with me as an individual, not from the perspective of them having to cater to me or be afraid of me, but understanding my shortcomings and my failings and sometimes my my extraness. Like I watched my oldest son actually come to terms with, okay, dad wasn't here a whole lot before the pandemic. Now he is here and oh, he's overcompensating. Dad, relax. I know you're a good father that kind of thing. Like they've started to define themselves and they're defining me, but they're doing it through their own freedom and their own autonomy. And, and you're right. I'm, as I'm thinking about these episodes of Star Trek, like that's a model that's a healthy model. And I think it's something that we can aspire to as parents like to have your children be able to consider you as an individual. And I think it's reciprocal. That'll be the last thing I say about it is like it didn't happen until I yes. started giving them that same autonomy. And once they felt free to be themselves, no matter Who they were, however they are, like my my oldest son is like he's adamant. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. What do you got to say about it? Right. And, and, but then he started offering that back to me in return. And it's, it's been a great relationship building. um,
0: Yeah. Well, it ties back into what we were talking about in the earlier part of this episode, where we were talking about like stories and how we can't behave in ways we haven't seen. We can't imagine, you know, like, and your, your role as a parent there. And this is something I do all the time, right. Is modeling that behavior that we want to see in our kids is showing them, not telling them, but showing them what it means to embody body these values right and i think that's a beautiful thing i think we are you know this next generation of parents of like millennials and zoomers are going to be really fundamentally changing the way generations relate with each other yeah and i actually do think this is something star trek gets right generally is it does not treat children like objects yeah yeah You know, uh, and I think that actually was kind of cutting edge in the 90s, really. It's like very, very modern child psychology relative to the 90s to even think of children as people, you know, not as
3: incomplete
0: (laughs) adults, but as whole people who are at a certain stage of development in their lives with their own set of rights. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, with their own sort of capacities and needs and desires, which include desires to explore and be creative and Mm. fuck up.
2: And they also want their humanity recognized, right? They may not express it, it with that language, but there's a consistent and persistent fight. I remember for me being a child, but also looking at my children, like they want their autonomy and their humanity recognized. I am a person and I know that you are my father and you are my mother or you're my guardian or whatever the case may be. And I know that you have this power over me, but I need you to recognize my humanity even though you have this power over me. And I think that goes right back to the prime directive, you know, the Federation has this power that they could easily swagger into any civilization and start dictating to them how they should live their lives. But being able to recognize that civilization from a distance and giving them the space to grow autonomously while also being there to step in if there's ever a special case if they need to step in. Like, I I think replicating that in family life has been really, really like revolutionary. And to do that again, like you said, in the 90s, in the 90s, they were still telling children to be seen and not heard.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. being a child in the 90s for sure. And it, it was brutal, you know, in a lot of ways, like especially because I was a neurodivergent kid, you know, I have ADHD. And really, the strategy then was just punish anything that's inconvenient for adults. Mm. you know and it it was very much about conformity and convenience and you know to what extent you are able to make yourself useful to the factory model and we still struggle with that in a lot of ways in our culture I think but I do think that like you were saying sort of modeling this respect between what is like the ultimate power dynamic the ultimate unequal power dynamic which is between parent and child modeling that sort of moderation in use of power I think is one of the most important things we can do because because if we teach that to our children as their parents, they will carry that out into the power relationships they have the rest of their life. You know, those values about what you should do with your power and how you should use or not use the power you have over another person. I right. think those are some of the most important things we can possibly teach our kids.
2: As opposed to the opposite model where like, you know, there's a rejection of the quote unquote nanny state and they you know yeah. they dismiss it as being paternalistic. And don't get me wrong, there are examples where you could be overly paternalistic and intrude and, and go yeah. beyond the boundaries that you shouldn't go. Right. But at the same time, if you have power over a group of people, you have a responsibility to that group of people not to abuse yeah. that power. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. I emphatically
0: agree. And, you know, I I think like we've been saying about the Prime Directive, that's really well illustrated throughout the show. I want to tie to a specific sort of parental relationship in Discovery, actually, which is between Georgiou and Michael, where they, you know, have this in the alternate universe, very explicitly parental relationship. In the Prime universe, it's a little more complicated because, you know, she was adopted by Spock's family. But I'm thinking of the alternate universe where ultimately Michael tries to kill her, (laughs) like literally doing (laughs) matricide because they live in this society that is entirely focused on power and wielding it, you know, as opposed to relinquishing it and sharing it on wielding it. And I I think that's probably intentional. I think that's sort of a continuation of the larger philosophies of power within Trek, which frankly, probably will have to be an entire second episode because there's so much to say about power and power in Star Trek. And I know we're getting kind of towards the end here. So why don't we do a real quick game if you have time for it Uh, just sort of wrap up the episode and then we'll say our goodbyes and you know maybe do it again soon i don't know sure sure. so the game i want to play is who do you want to be your star trek mom dad parent whatever sort of arrangement (laughs) you want and why
2: um Okay, so the caveat is this that I have not watched uh, DS9 in its totality and something tells me when I come around I'm going to add uh Benjamin Cisco to this. That said, I would want Captain Picard and Data. Okay. I would like that parenting pair because of the innocence of Data but also the clarity of like the just clarity on everything data had a way of being able to see through and around the bullshit but also approach it from a like the most human perspective out of all the characters on and actually we probably have to go show by show but if we're just talking about the next generation it would be those two and then captain picard just represents like the stoicism the kind of valor and and the hearkening back to like the good things that we actually got from western civilization versus all the shitty stuff that we got from and i mean obviously stoicism doesn't come straight strictly from there but he's it just kind of represents the best of the old world. And I I, I like some of those things. I like those characteristics. I, I like the ability to stare like any captain, right? What, what do they say in the movie, the 2009 movie, like stare death in the face and keep your composure. Yeah. That's what Captain Picard represents for me. Right. So the that stoicism from him and the humanity, oddly enough, the humanity of data.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Do no harm, take no shit, know thyself. (laughs) Those are good values to have, I think. Corey, what about you? Who would your parents be?
1: I, I, I kind of changed my thinking as, as you were talking, Ben, because uh, I was going to say Rom. Rom, I think, is still the best dad in Trek. And there's, when you get further into Deep Space Nine, I think you'll definitely fully appreciate Rom as a parent. But based on, on the argument you just made, I'm actually going to say Picard and Loxana, because I uh. think the stoicism and the clarity and the just like all of those characteristics, the sense of duty that you get from Picard balanced out with Loxana's free spiritedness and her just total embrace of you know your individuality i think i think that is um, that would be an amazing set
2: yeah
3: i love it
0: uh amy how are you doing for audio
3: uh hear that mustang
0: you know what we'll roll with it why don't you go ahead and give your answer if people get mad y'all can skip the next like 30 (laughs) seconds or whatever it's gonna have some cruddy audio
3: I would say that actually, I'm with Corey. Rom is probably the best father in there. So, like, Rom for father, but maybe Ben Sisko could be my daddy.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, for me, I think uh, I would like Giorgio to be mm. my mother.
2: Which one, Prime or Mirror Universe?
0: You know, both. For different reasons, but prime if I had to pick one. Maybe, you know, Giorgio Prime can be my mom and Giorgio Ultra yeah. can be my mommy. And then for a parent, That's I actually love, I love agree it. with you on ROM, I think for dad. And then maybe, you know, my parents would be a polycule and Loxana would also be in it because yeah. perfect. <laughs> I need I need to explain where the extras shit came from. It'll be like my polycule additional mother who also birthed me.
1: Oh, but uh. you didn't even mention
0: flocks. Talking about oh polycules. man, Flocks is Flocks well, is great, but like I don't know if he would be a great dad. Like he goes hundreds of years without seeing his children.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I have to if we if we are if we're having a poly, uh, I would I would have to add in. Um, um, oh Lord, as of as my my mind is going blank. It, it Captain of the Voyager. I love her. Uh, oh, uh, Janeway. 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 Yeah. Captain yeah. Janeway, because she she was just like you could even substitute. And you know, a lot of those things that I love about Picard, you could substitute Janeway because she was just as valiant, just as like bold and stoic, and yeah. just like the kind of person I like in a crisis. I want Janeway.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I think she she also has a deep tenderness to her that's very important. And she shows a very specific kind of uniquely feminine strength, which I relate to a lot, actually.
3: She always felt like the next captain of the flagship that got stuck in the Delta Quadrant for that part of her career, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. like she would have graduated to Enterprise when she got back. I think that's probably true. Also, would totally watch that show. Wherever y'all are at, Star Trek writers, I know you're listening to this show by now because when you get here, you're, you know, we're famous or whatever. I would like that episode, or not that episode, that series to happen, please. I think that would be an amazing series. Y'all know Kate Mulgrew is still working and still Mm -hmm. amazing. Get her in there. Do the next, you know, Enterprise-type show with her at the helm. It'll be great
3: just get the music right yeah i want i want star trek janeway Uh,
0: right that would
1: be
3: amazing
0: janeway is one of my favorite captains for sure
1: so i'm I'm down for it yeah yeah
0: although i gotta be honest my feelings towards janeway are much less maternal and much more romantic (laughs) 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 i love it
2: I love it. My men crush on that show on, on mm-hmm. in all the Star Treks. It is Captain Picard first. Oh, absolutely. And, and then I'm going back and I'm I'm looking at, at Captain Kirk. I'm like, wait a minute, Captain Kirk. You 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 kind of swole back then. Like you you were like yeah. So those
0: swole. You know. Oh my had that, goodness. Like, barrel belly. Yeah. Where they could like pick up half a car.
2: If they hold yeah. if they hold in their stomach it looks like there's a, a, a two pack there. That that kind of 64. <laughs> I love it.
0: Uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: Hey,
2: thank you all it. so much for having me. It has been it has been a great afternoon. I really appreciate we spending the time with you. We love it. Me.
0: Yes, we love it. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been our our joy. Complete banger of an episode. You are welcome back literally anytime. My DMs are open if you ever want to just shoot us a message like, "Hey, let's do an episode about this thing." I am sure the answer would be yes. We would love to have you back. This has been great.
2: Awesome. Look forward to it.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Do you have stuff you would like to pitch? I know you're like way more famous than we are, but do you want to tell people about your show where they can find you. What do you? Uh...
2: Yeah, no, yeah, sure. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm I'm doing the most. I'm doing shows all over the place. I got a new show starting uh, on on Tuesday, so keep an eye out for it. To the point where we just do a, a brief fifteen minute summary of the the news of the day, but not just a summary. We cut through the bullshit. We get to the point of the spin and all of the lies, and we do it all in less than fifteen minutes, and so. That's starting on Monday. And so just go to the Benjamin Dixon show Welcome. on YouTube. And I hope everybody is subscribing to this podcast and any of your other content, because if the other content is anything like this, everybody needs to be subscribed.
0: We are definitely a bunch of gay space communists in everything that we do. Thank you so
3: awesome. much. That was so sweet.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if you, our listeners, would like to support us, uh, we are part of the Not Safe Media Network, which is our big gay space co-op where we host a whole bunch of amazing shows. We have Not Safer Walks Our Flagship. We have Meet the Left with Kenzo Shibata. We have mm. this show. We have God, I'm I know I'm forgetting like six or seven. Sentai Truther because- Club. Yes, Sentai Truther Club, which is an amazing fun show where they talk about basically the same stuff, but for Power Rangers. Uh-huh. And we have a blast. You know, we're a bunch of big, giant nerds. And if you would like to give us money so that we can do this, you can go to patreon.com slash not safe. And if you would like to subscribe to our YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash not safe media. And if you go to all of those, find us all of those places, you will not miss a single thing. And we will guaranteed entertain you. And that's all I got. Is that all y'all got? Anybody want to? We're good. Thanks
2: again, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Love you. Yeah, love y'all.